We'll now have our Bible reading, which Teresa will read for us. This reading is taken from Psalm 13, verses 1 to 6. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death, and my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Teresa. Shall we pray together? Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart bring understanding to awaken our hearts, expand our minds, and shape our identity in you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me begin this morning by, by asking you all, all a question. If you could choose one word, and you only get one word, if you could choose one word to define, if you like, this, this past year, which word would you choose? You know, think about it for, for a moment, but what's that word that's coming right into your head now? What word would it be? This is, this is the word, when I thought about that question, that, that I would choose. It's the word loss. Here's why. Because I, I don't know a person who's not experienced some kind of loss as a result of this past year. You know, I started to make a list, and forgive me if I, if I don't mention everyone's specific context that might be relevant for you, but we've experienced so much loss, haven't we? The loss of, if you like, milestones and key events in our lives such as what we, what we couldn't do on birthdays and Christmases and other family celebrations. For some of us, we've experienced the loss of school life and, if you like, exams and university experiences. We've probably all lost a holiday. Maybe some of us have lost more than one holiday by now. For some of us, maybe we might have, have, have lost our jobs or certainly found being furloughed difficult. For some, we've experienced, if you like, the loss on missing out on important surgery or had vital treatment delayed. We've all, to some extent, experienced the loss of touch, the loss of hugs, and the innocence, if you like, of going close to someone without wondering, are they safe? We've known the loss of playing sport and perhaps other pastimes. We've experienced the loss of what we know as church and our community life together. 
For some, life has just become completely disorientated, that we've become paralyzed in subconscious fear and we don't even realize it. Maybe for some, it's rocked our faith in God. For some, we've experienced the loss of life as we knew it, where freedoms have been ripped away and we found ourselves shielding in our prisons. And it's exacerbated because we may feel that we've not got too many years left, to quote St. Paul, in our jars of clay. And then for some, we've lost friends and family members to this virus without being able to mourn properly. You know, I had a conversation this week, last Thursday, with my mother, and I think I wouldn't be exaggerating if I said that she's made more trips to the crematorium in the past year than what she's been anywhere else combined. You know, we've all experienced loss. We've experienced the loss of, well, you know. I'll leave you to complete the sentence. Here's what I know as a priest. We must find a way to articulate and process our feelings of loss. In the words of Eugene Peterson, the worst thing is failing, if you like, to deal with reality and become disconnected from what is actual. In my experience, it just kind of leads somewhere down the line. It leads to anger or anxiety. It looks to, leads to fear and pain. It leads to bitterness and resentment. So for this season of Lent, where can I take you in the Bible to process the sense of loss we all feel? It's to journey through the Old Testament book, of the Psalms. This book that's rich in wisdom, this book that, that Jesus knew very well. Of all the Old Testament books, there's only one that Jesus will quote more often from. And more specifically, what we're going to try and do is explore four Psalms of lament in Lent. Now, we may not be quite sure this morning, well, what's a lament? How do we lament? So let's kind of begin with a definition of sorts to kind of get us all on the same page. If you like, what's a lament? Well, a lament is quite simply a cry. It could be a long, loud and agonized cry in certain situations from someone who's experienced loss. By definition, therefore, laments are set within a context of a difficult situation and or demanding circumstances because nobody laments when life is good. Lamenting, therefore, gives a voice to our sense of loss and difficulties. If you like, our pains and our fears, our struggles and our grief, our confusion and our brokenness. But most importantly, it doesn't leave us there. You see, a lament isn't something that's static. The purpose of a lament, if you like, is not to leave us wallowing in the pit, but as Psalm 40 reminds us, to draw us from the desolate pit out of the miry bog. It therefore creates movement. Yes, it brings emotion to our pain, but yes, it also moves the stress through our souls, and most importantly, it moves us towards God to point our hearts to him, once more in trust and hope, reliance and thanksgiving. A lament is therefore a cry 
But it's a cry of belief in a good God. Maybe for some of you, the sense of irony will not be lost when I say one of the great paradoxes of the Psalms is this. Their most common form of psalm is a lament. You know, you might find some scholars will say a third, some scholars will say a half. Yeah, what does the word psalms mean? We all know what it means, really. It means songs of praise. To lament in Lent gives us the emotional language, if you like, to articulate this sense of loss over this pasture. To bring, if you like, our sorrow to God. To navigate the wilderness of our loss, but within the security of our Heavenly Father's gaze. Knowing that His love for us is unfailing because He is faithful and good. And so when we, when we see these psalms of lament, Barry's going to put Psalm 13 up for us this morning so we can see this. What the biblical scholars will teach us is this. Every psalm of lament contains a number of common features. You will find them if you, if you actually read the psalms of lament. You know, we can, we can put them this morning under four headings. Now, each of these can appear in any order. Remember, a psalm is often poetry. You don't read it like, like you might read a novel or a book. And it might appear more than once. You see, firstly, what we see is we see there's an opening address to God. That's the first part. Now, that opening address could be in some great exaltation, extolling the great virtues of God, high and mighty God it might be, or something like that. Or it might actually start to include, as we see with this psalm, the actual cry for help. That's the first part. Then the second part of a lament is the lament itself. If you like, it's the description of the trouble, it's the definition of the crisis, the reason for the pain and or injustice. You know, it's usually expressed, as we'll see in, in today's psalm, with words like how, or why, or where. How long, O oh God? Where have you gone, God? If you love me, God, why is this happening? So you've got this opening address. You've got the lament itself. And then you've got the petition, if you like. This is, if you like, the urgent request for God to help. Hear my prayer, God. Answer me, God. Hear me, God. Help me, God. You know, this is the part of the psalm where the, what the writer is trying to do is asking God to intervene based upon his character. And then fourthly, what you'll see is this statement of confidence in God, in the form of trust, in the form of hope, in the form of praise to God. So you've got these four elements. You've got the opening address to God. You've got the lament itself. We've got the petition. And then finally, you've got this statement of trust and confidence in God. So if we look at Psalm 13, we can see how it works itself out this morning. Now, a little secret for you here little bit of biblical knowledge. Psalm 13, it's the shortest lament in the whole of the Psalms. And if we, were, if we were to look at it, what we'd see is we'd see, first of all, that it's split into three sections. Verses 1 to 2 is the protest. This opening address to God. See how he defines God? 
you know, oh Lord. Lord in capital letters, which means in our English Bible that he's always talking about God in that most precious sacred name, the name of Yahweh. But you can see how it's, how it's wrapped within this repeated, isn't it, fourfold cry for God for help. How long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain? How long shall I enemy we can almost feel can't we David's pain we're not told here what's the reason for for David's pain you know sometimes when we when we read a psalm most famously psalm 51 we know the context because the context is David's adultery with Bathsheba here we're not given the context as to why David is suffering but we can see if we look at verses one to two we can see how his distress is threefold isn't it Got trouble with God? How long, O Lord? My God has forgotten me, in other words. To to David, God seems distant at best, certainly hidden, and more likely absent. He just can't feel God's presence. But there's not just trouble with God, is there, if we look. There's also trouble with self. How long must I? If you like, his his mind's in turmoil, his, his restless in thought. But there's also trouble with others to make matters worse, isn't it? His enemies are attacking. See, David is left wondering, isn't he? And waiting for how long is the pain going to continue? Maybe we can understand his impatience with God. Ever been there? And then if we move into verses 3 and 4, what we've got is we've got the petition. This is, if you like, the prayer. The prayer to God, asking God for help. You see, despite not feeling God's presence, David never stops praying to God. And that's the key. And so if there's a fourfold cry to God for help, that you can see how his urgent request for help is threefold, for God to stop hiding his face, And to reveal himself to him. We can see it in verse 3 and 4. Consider. Answer. Give light to my eyes. You can almost feel, can't we, David pressing God for a resolution to the situation that he's facing to end the waiting game, to end the uncertainty. Ever been there? And we see as well in this petition... If you like the hallmark of every psalm of David, remember David wrote more psalms than anybody else. If you like the two poles of David's world. His awareness of God that's expressed in, in kind of warm covenant language. He uses the words in verse 3, O Lord, my God. And an awareness of his enemies kind of expressed in negative language. But the psalm doesn't leave us there. It would be pretty depressing if it did. Look at verses 5 and 6. Because he finishes with these words of promise. And remember, despite the difficulties David's facing, David says, still I will trust. Still I will declare. Still I will praise God. You see, here's what David is doing. This is not the situation before David now as if the waiting has finished. 
What he's imagining is he's imagining a situation in the future when God will turn his face back towards him. If you like, he's looking forward to how God will deliver him even though in the present nothing has changed. Why? Well, he says it in verse 5, because of God's steadfast love. The Hebrew word, the hesed, is the word there. It means God's faithful, God's unfailing love towards us. And it just leads him into this two-part song, you know, where he says, I'm going to rejoice in joyous praise, doesn't he? Of God's salvation and God's generous provision to him. Even though it's not the situation before him at that precise moment. You see, what this psalm actually does is it gives us a framework for how to wait in God, in hope, when nothing seems to be changing. Or as one scholar described this psalm, still waiting, still trusting. Here's what that looks like. It gives us permission to do three things. It gives us permission to raise a voice in protest to God. How long will it be before you intervene? It gives us the opportunity to raise our voice but to get over ourselves and still call out to God in prayer. I call out to you, God, to help. But it also causes us to do one more thing, to gaze once more with eyes of hope and declare joyous praise in our faithful, generous God within a community of faith, for God knows what he's doing. His purpose and his timing serves a purpose, which is better than mine. So let me leave you with three ways that you could use this psalm this week. Because it only becomes real when it becomes part of, of our lives, and I will have sent these things to you by email by the time you get home this morning. So if you can't remember them, they'll be in your inbox. Here's the first way you could actually use Psalm 13 as your own Lenten experience of your own journey to the cross. One way you could do that is to actually pray the psalm. If you like to pray verses 1 to 4 through the eyes of Jesus as he hangs on the cross and imagining that, that Easter scene that we know too well of the Father turning his face from him as Jesus paid for our skins, if you like, when the sky turned black. And then, as you see and you hear Jesus say those words, it is finished, you pray verses 5 to 6 for yourself, for that situation in your life where you're lamenting right now. There's one way we could do it. Here's a second way we could, we could do it. We could, we could use just Psalm 13 and the various sections of it as a prayer tool to pray about this pandemic for those suffering, for those caring, for those struggling, for those helping, for those leading, and so on. Or oh, here's a further way that we could use Psalm 13 this week. We could use it actually to process our own journey through this past year in asking four questions. A question of thanksgiving. 
What are we thankful for? A question of lament. What are we missing, longing for? A question of learning. What have we learned? And a question of prayer. What would it be good to think about in my praying this week? So you'll have got each of those three options to take and to consider. If you can't remember them or you're not good on email, there'll be a a sheet at the back as you go out if you want to take them. But this series is all about learning how to lament in Lent from the songs of praise. Shall we pray together? As David prayed, O Lord, my God, forgive our impatience when we cry, how long? Be tender in our waiting when we press for a resolution. Help us to be patient in our trusting in you active in hope in your goodness and rejoicing in your bountiful care. In Jesus' name, Amen.